Welcome back to the Millennial Pastors Podcast. I'm Michaela Johnson. And I'm Caleb Haynes. And we're your guest co-hosts for season 10. We're here having conversations around creation care and what it means to be Christian on planet Earth. Over this season, we'll be chatting with scientists, theologians, and other Christians who are doing the work of Earth care in their specific context. So we hope that this will bear fruit for you and your ministry and your work in the world. All right, welcome to this edition of the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where uh, Michaela and I are getting down uh, to, to sit down with some wonderful people to talk about creation care efforts uh, and theological conversations and all the good things that, that come with that, uh, particularly with folks who are in our uh, Nazarene faith tradition. So we're really excited about that. And today we're sitting down uh, across the virtual table uh, with a couple special people. And, uh, you know, I'm going to let you just do a brief intro to, for yourself if you'd like, because I think there'll be some familiar, uh, familiarity. I'm Jeff Perganan. Um, I'm one of the pastors out at Heirloom East Bay, which is in the Bay Area of California, just east of Oakland, California, um, for those who are less familiar with California um, space. And I've been here since 2019 um, and on the district uh, in NorCal since 2010. So doing some church planning work and a few other things, but Heirloom's my full time. Yeah, love that. Love that. And who's sitting with you there? Uh, I'm Britt Bullerjack. I'm the other co-pastor here at Heirloom East Bay, and I've been here about five weeks. <laughs> love it. This podcast just can't get enough of Britt Bullerjack. I'm telling you. <laughs> the whole Church it's, of the Nazarene can't. <laughs> the whole Church of the Nazarene. Just when you think it's over, it's not. She's back. Oh uh, so love it so much. And I love, you guys can't see this, but Jeff's over there in his overalls or, uh, you know, do you call them coveralls or overalls? Overalls. Overalls. I never understood the difference, really. Maybe it's a north-south. I don't know. My so. mom says I look like an Oshkosh Bagosh commercial. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good mom statement. Uh, 100%. Yeah. Did, did you guys just come from farming off the land straight straight in here or? It's July, um, so things from, are happening. Yeah, I came from cleaning out and the one of the buildings here on site. And I'm coming from a zone pastors meeting, but I'm going out to work on our riding lawnmower after this conversation. So oh, the one that's stuck in the yeah, okay. the one that's stuck in the thing. Oh man, well Good. you know what Jesus says about when you're riding lawnmower gets stuck in the thing. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> gotta, yeah. The, gotta go find the one missing lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even on the Sabbath, I think that's yeah, uh, yeah. I similar just just came in in July here in Tennessee. It can be a little overwhelming, and my garden is just like you know, I'm growing more weeds than actual things at this point. But um, they're they're in there, so I'm, I'm that's excited. That's what July and August are for. You know, you gotta you yeah. gotta let the weeds grow up with the crops, and then something something happens, and something else happens, and then you eat food. It's great. Yeah, love it so much. Yeah, cool. Well, tell us a little bit about Heirloom East Bay, maybe how it came to be or how you came to be there. 
Heirloom East Bay is an intentional Christian community that is focusing on three um, unique, uh, not unique, uh, we're focusing on three different aspects of um, our faith expression, which are hospitality, creativity, and sustainability. And really the sustainability piece is what we'll talk about the most today, but it has some deep ties um, to being hospitable and also to expressing our creativity uh, alongside of the rest of creation. Um, We were initially started in 2019 out of a church program that had focused on integrating young people into local church ministry. And through our work with young folks, a growing emphasis on the need to be um, not independent of the food systems that exist in the U.S., but to be maybe um, more ethically engaged with our food systems. And knowing that we as a church community uh, did not have a lot of experience in that area in terms of growing our own food or um, really working with in cooperation with our our particular places where we lived in in the most uh, direct manner. So we had the opportunity um, with the blessing of the district to um, purchase a 95 acre farm that is 20 minutes away from the Oakland airport. And so we are very much um, near our urban kind of core centers um, in the Bay area, but it's also really this idyllic place where there's a Creek that runs through the property. We have, a variety of livestock and animals that we get to care for. Um, and it just really felt like a, a wonderful opportunity for the group of young people that we had at the time to really become practitioners of sustainability. And that um, felt like the right thing for us to do at the time. Um, and then it's proven to be uh, a real blessing to, to continue to learn what it means to reduce our impact. And I think even beyond reducing our impact um, to be good partners with the earth itself. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Love that. In my preparation for this video, I was perusing the website and I got to the values uh, section. And I feel like to some, these values may seem contradictory or could be held as a, a dichotomy of, and these values are acceptance and transformation, action and rest community and solitude and resistance and embrace. So tell us a little bit about how heirloom holds these values and why these are important things to you. Um, Maybe just to represent all sort of four of those tensions, I can really talk about action and rest as uh, one example of the, the ways that we hold those two together. Um, Everyone here, we encourage everyone here to really maintain a Sabbath. Um, And it's something that we don't just sort of um, communicate verbally to our residents and uh, members of the community who extend beyond the residency. Um, We actually build it into the structural rhythm um, and give people a, a tangible way of engaging and becoming practitioners of both action and rest. 
Um, so for example, one of the things that we do here as a community is um, we have a community calendar and everyone has the opportunity to mark their Sabbath on the calendar um, as a way of uh, saying that my participation today is to step away from the needs of the core community so that when I'm fully, when I'm present, I'm fully present. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm not here, it's also in the community's best interest um, for me to have these times of solitude. Um, and we try to hold each other accountable to those things. And then further, we have sort of some weekly rhythms and some monthly rhythms. Um, but anytime there's a fifth um, of the week, uh, so a fifth Sunday, like July has five Sundays, we take that day off to rest. Or if you have some energy, then we also would encourage you to participate in some sort of community action. Um, so Sundays, oftentimes there's something going on in your city or your county, the state um, where you are, and it's difficult to participate because there's church every week. Mm. And so mm. we can take these times to, without guilt or shame or pressure to say, great, go and be a part of the community in whatever way. God is leading you to be involved mm-hmm. in the community, um, spend time as a family to rest um, or as a household to rest. Um, and so we, we try to take both of those things, not as opposite um, mandates, but really as maybe more like pistons in an engine where each one has its own job and they work in tandem or they work in conjunction with each other um, so that, as one engages, it gives the other time to rest. And then, and then you can sort of oscillate between the two. Yeah. Love mm. that. That's great. So tell um, us a little bit about what community looks like for heirloom. So a 95 acre farm isn't quite like a traditional neighborhood. You know, it's not like a, what people would assume a church might look like in a neighborhood. So who are your neighbors? Who is a part of your community? I'd love to hear from Britt as she is really getting to experience this for the first time. But I do think there's something about um, becoming a new neighbor that mm-hmm. is really unique and special about this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would be more than happy to talk more about being an old neighbor, but um, Britt. Yeah, I think um, we are neighbors to each other. There's 13 people that live on site. Not all of them are necessarily involved in the indigenous community, but most of us are. Um, and also we on Sundays gather in the evenings for supper church and meet a lot of our neighbors. Um, one couple in particular um, has started running some sheep on our pasture and um, they are incredible like husband and wife team. And I'm learning so much from them about animal care and carbon sequestration and fundraising and, um, and all the things so that those kinds of partnerships have been really helpful. Um, and also I'm finding community in like the Castro Valley parents, Facebook group and the buy nothing group here in Castro Valley, um, already had some really great conversations with a lot of different people. So it's kind of a, a weird thing that we're doing in some ways. And so people are interested, they want to take a tour, they want to get to know us. Um, they're curious and that energy is really, has really spawned some really great conversations, especially one of our residents, Martha. I think she gives someone a tour like every single day. 
<laughs> not a joke. Yeah. I don't know where she finds everyone that takes tours, but it's amazing how many people take it. That's awesome. Well, if you're she 25 minutes from. Yeah. She yeah. was in the neighborhood um, where her daughter lives and it was, I think at 6 a.m. And she invited somebody because she said anybody who's walking around at 6 a.m. in their neighborhood has to be good people. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but again, I think to Britt's point, it's an intriguing thing to a lot of our neighbors. Um, and especially because we're so close, you know, the images that people have of Oakland um, aren't sort of pastoral images. They're urban um, densely populated neighborhoods. And so to be, I mean, their immediate neighbor and to have these opportunities to bring partners, um, to our space as an act of hospitality has been a really unique thing. And I have found, especially in my role as a pastor in the community, that there's a, there's something about being a farmer or about caring for animals that builds trust in an, in a pretty immediate manner mm. with people. And so, you know, where you might encounter some skepticism in a lot of places when I show up in overalls and I talk about immediately, like I'm just perceived as a more caring person. And so they know my job is to be a pastor of a church, but they make a lot of different assumptions about what my character is and what mm. I represent because um, they recognize that my role is to care for something um, mm. in a very tangible way. And so that connection um, I think has been really helpful in terms of um, what it means to be a Christian witness mm. in a place um, like the Bay area. So I, I found it particularly helpful to actually be, mm in a unique space um, when you talk about church spaces, not that farms are in particularly unique, but. Um. Mm. Man, that's so, that's so good. I, it, so many thoughts on that. And um, yeah, you know, you, you guys, I mean, I feel like we've, we're, we're we could go a lot of places here. I'm, I'm thinking back about, so you, at the beginning, you mentioned, hospitality and creativity and sustainability. Is that right? And sort of like, I'm, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curi yeah. What's that? That just are three core expressions of faith. Yeah. Right. Right. So, and, and then sort of the uh, juxtaposition of the core values that Michaela is pointing out. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if there is more of a story behind the story in, in these, like where did this sort of structure I'm from like, is this something that kind of uh, you were giving birth to for kind of a long period of your life that just kind of fleshed out in this thing called heirloom? And also, why is it called heirloom? I'm also curious about that. Um, yeah, the I think the the three expressions had some deep rooted um, ties for the original staff for Sophie Callahan. Uh, Jared Callahan and myself. Um, Jared and I are both um, professional creatives. I'm a photographer. He's a uh, excellent filmmaker. Um, Sophie Callahan is uh, 
probably one of the most gentle and hospitable people um, I've ever met. Um, and so those were pretty obvious ties for us. And then really the sustainability piece was something that we as pastors care deeply about, and especially in terms of ethics. But when it came to practicing sustainability, that was really community driven. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that felt very natural for us as a community to say, hey, our leadership and our inklings as a community have been in these directions. Um, We also had several other um, writers and artists in the community at the time. Um, So these felt like endemic sort of expressions of the community Mm. um, that we couldn't deny or get away from. They just were who we were naturally. Um, And then when it came to the tensions, um, I think a lot of that was, you know, as we talked about what it meant to live together and to be an intentional community together in a particular place and community, um, we looked to other intentional communities and there were a lot of value propositions or statements or, you know, we even have our rule of life. Um, and we just felt like, um, we needed to acknowledge as a community that we were really wrestling with how to be a community together. And so, um, it was our most natural sort of uh, way of stating these are the things that we're wrestling with. We know that we're in a really busy cultural time and in maybe one of the more busy cultural spaces. And so the Bay Area is known for its churn of people, technology. And so, like, yeah, let's acknowledge that there's a lot of movement here, but then also that's not our call. Our call isn't to overproductivity, and in some ways that can be damaging. We need to balance that. Um, There were also a lot of, uh, and there still are a lot of conversations going on about what it means to be uh, people of justice. And so how do you radically call um, institutions and individuals who hold power? um, How do you call them to account? And then also, how do you let them know that they're included in the mission to love your neighbor? And so these these don't seem like, um, again, opposites so much as they are partners and things that we just in our own community were wrestling with. And it was maybe more appropriate to just name that and say, this is the type Mm -hmm. of community that we already are. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we're going to invite other people into this community. Let's try to be as honest as we can about mm. that. Um, so that's, mm. that's the origin of, of a lot of that was, you know, searching around and not really quite finding ourselves in any one particular community and really just deciding to be honest about who we already wanted to become and we're trying to mm. work on becoming. I really like the fact that who you are is who you are. <laughs> that, that you know, it's like, hey, we have these three these three values here, right? And it's like, of of course, of course, we do because it's it's what we're embodying. And I think uh, if this is making any sense, it makes sense in my head. But that uh, that you're saying, well, who are we going to become? Well, who are we already? And I think a lot of times particularly in the church and church things that we do or Christian things, 
we we do it quite the opposite. We start with this sort of set of ideals that is generally uh, doctrinally, you know, set aside, or or that that this this is who we believe the church to be, and it involves these twelve things and and all of that, and then we try to take that and and put that in a place on a group of people, and uh, regardless of who those people are or where those people are, and uh, and so I feel like what you guys are up to just. Um, it just oozes embodiment and that's and and I really love that about it and that it is it is and that is what makes it more unique of course of course the farm all the things but but that it's like hey this this is us and this is what this is what we're holding here so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's beautiful yeah it's one of those things we that I think the- that um many churches don't have 95 acres to turn into a farm to you know do this thing but but all almost all spaces can look at your community and say who are we and how do we how do we plan on engaging in our community how do we plan on holding in tandem these things that happen in our community the people that are a part of us the people that are yet to be a part of us and i think that's a, a great lesson for for us who, who do not get to pastor on a, a beautiful farm, you know, doing this kind of work, it's still the, the true work that you are doing is still possible for many pastors in many spaces. You know, yours just has a, a unique outer wrapping of a farm and somebody else's might be urban. It might be, you know, many other iterations of the, of this thing. I will say some of that is, from questions from our district superintendent um, and our district advisory board as we were moving towards um, discerning where where to go as a community. Um, one of the questions we were asked is, um, how can this be replicated? Mm-hmm. Um, and while I am generally not um, inclined towards uh, church growth questions, it wasn't, that wasn't the heart of the question. The heart of the question was, as the spirit is effective in your life, how does this continue to grow? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we tried to hold that as we wrote some of these things so that this could be replicable um, in our own lives um, because we knew that we were always going to be sending young people other places. Um, that's just a feature of our community um, and we wanted some of what we were doing here to be replicated wherever they go. And, um, that has proven to be maybe the, um, one of the best questions we were ever asked early on. Um, and we have some members now who have been able to take our rule of life and our value statements and apply them as they go back to grad school for being doctors or go back to, you know, their college communities where a lot of our friendships are are maintained Mm. um, and they can still practice what they've learned here. Um, Something as simple as making your own toothpaste or something more complex, like resisting governmental authority. Um, So it's been a, it's been a really helpful guide and it's also been a great guide for our partnerships um because people can select in like 
I'm into this as a theater company director and I love what you're doing. So we can, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of things for us um, and instructive in every way. It's great. So um, I'm interested to know about some of the sustainable practices that you have, uh, whether that be, um, the way you work land or the way that you, um, manage supporting this whole thing. Cause it costs, you know, to, to have a space and to cultivate that space. So how, how does heirloom kind of tie all of those things together? Um, definitely composting is one of our, one of the major things that we do. Um, we do a lot of things to conserve water because we are on well water and it is not at all like unlimited um, source of water. So we're very careful with water usage. We're working on some gray water ideas um, now to kind of even further our, our water sustainability. Um, we have solar that runs the farm. Um, more things that I yeah, um, we are starting to make our own soaps, um, and that's been um, not only great for us in terms of reducing impacts with chemical use, but also in connecting with neighbors in providing another revenue stream for us as a ministry. Um, we sell eggs um, from the chickens that we have, and aside from the compost, I think the chickens are probably the best way that we reduce our food waste um it's just like a and really anything that's not mold can go to the chickens um our green waste can go to the sheep or the goats and so the animals have really been a big part of our practice um and we've connected with some of our other neighbors who have food waste uh including a local farmer's market um, that's like a permanent stall. And whenever they have food waste, um, they work with another neighbor um, as well who's raising hogs. And so between the two of us, they're able to pull out tons of food from the trash. We have a 60 acre uh, or a 60 tree persimmon uh, acreage. And um, we are able to donate uh, several tons of persimmons every year to the food bank. Um, and um, yeah, those, those are a few of the things that we, use we mulch do. That would be oh, yeah. taken to a landfill. We divert mulch uh, for a local neighbor who pays us to dump the wood chips on the property. Um, and then that is helping us to lay a foundation eventually for a permaculture section of the property. Um, so some of these things are in stages, um, but those are some of the ways that we're, working on sustainability. Um, also our Sunday services, um, we try to use uh, permanent dishes as often as we can, um, but when we can't, we do have um, everything that we use is compostable. Um, and then in our area, at least, um, there's a industrial compost that we can make sure that everything is uh, recycled into the, into the food system in, in an appropriate way. Um, yeah, there's, there's a handful of ways. I'm sure there's others, um, including replacing light fixtures and doing some of those things to reduce our impact. 
Man, that sounds like a dream to have people pay you to give you the gold that is mulch, you know? Pretty great. (laughs) That would be so cool. You've arrived uh, when, (laughs) yeah. So, sorry, can I just add one more thing? Yeah, please. It's an aspiration uh, that's carried over from our last iteration uh, as a community. Um, But we have seen these like, party packs where there's like a tub of 20 plates, cups, bowls, silverware, and people just rent them out. Um, and so that's been on our list and something I am keen on completing this year. Um, but it's just another way that you can connect with neighbors. Um, they can connect with other neighbors cause you just pick up a tub and then you tell them where to drop it off for the next party. Um, and so really you, you really don't have to do a whole lot. Um, and their only commitment is to pick up the tub for a low waste party and then deliver it to the next place. Um, so that's on the list of ways that we can continue to impact um, not only our own hospitality, but in, invite other people into being good neighbors as well with us. Mm. Pretty cool. That's so cool. So as far as like the farm element and the things that you're growing and, and et cetera, et cetera, uh, is that all sort of like, uh, inward is that like feeding the the heirloom community or is anything that gets sold like how does is there an interchange there yeah a lot of the food is for our own practice but you plant five tomato plants and then you have an abundance of tomatoes for like two months and you can't eat it all at one time so we've made sun-dried tomatoes and sold those at the farm stand um, we consistently have eggs we have about a hundred chickens um, that, um, you know, with, with different seasons are productive in different ways, but we sell eggs pretty consistently. Um, we have at times, um, also partnered with other neighbors, um, to help with, um, predator, uh, depredation. So wild hogs are really a problem out here where we are. And so we partnered with a couple of neighbors to provide food. Um, through depredation Um, they um, will help to capture you know 500 pound wild hogs and then uh, we share those uh, with our neighbors Um, so yeah there's there's quite a bit that can go on in a place like this Um, none of we've we've tried to stay away from having animals as pets um And so everything is working here on the farm, whether that's eating grass and maintaining the space like the sheep, um, or if it's raising um, quail for quail eggs or chickens for chicken eggs. Um, Yeah. And we also partner with some neighbors to run their cattle and horses. Yep. So they're producing what they're producing as well off of our land. Yeah. We have some apple trees. We make apple butter and sell that. Um, so yeah, we've, we've done a variety of things, everything's seasonal and we have definitely failed some years at a great pumpkin patch <laughs> one year. It does amazing. And we make loofahs. And then the next year, I don't wow. think we got anything last year. It was just so dry and so mm-hmm. hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and anytime we would water the hogs would dig through whatever we did. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I think that's just part of farming as well. Um, yeah. so take what the land gives right. and uh, yeah. you're, thank- you're thankful for what partnership produces. 
Oh, man, absolutely. Uh, I'd love to maybe turn a corner in the conversation a little bit and hear more um, philosophically, theologically, but also practically um, what, you know, how does this connect with your faith? How is how is any of this important for you as a person and people of God? And then, like, what is heir, what is heirloom church? You know, and I think that's you know, a big question probably for our listeners is like, you know, Brett, you said something about supper, uh, supper powwow or something, you know, supper church or something, you know. So what is this? How does this flesh out practically as well? So. Yeah, I think. For us, Heirloom East Bay is an opportunity to kind of model what church could be. Um, Even if you don't have 95 acres, you have maybe some flower beds or partnerships or backyards. Um, And there's something about worshiping creator that calls us to care for creation. Um, And I think it, it, we are attempting to model for the outside world, maybe um, what this faith could and should be for the land and the animals and the humans, um, because it's all connected. Everything's connected to each other. Um, and so when we care for animals, we're caring for ourselves, um, but also the creation of the creator. Yeah. I come to sustainability maybe through a little bit different route. I studied business before I went to NTS and studied theology. And one of the questions that was asked of me is what's the purpose of any organization? And, you know, the the standard business answer is generating shareholder wealth. Um, And the second question that I was asked is who are the shareholders? And that, I think, is something I'm still wrestling with. Um, But it's been really a question that I've come back to quite often. Um, And as I was learning um, in in theological spaces, um, that has just been a really valuable question of who is this for? What does this theology do for the people? Um, How am I I generating... Good things for the shareholders, and depending on how you define that, um, it can drastically change the mode of operation. And I think as I've grown in my pastoral perspective, I I can see how um, defining the purpose of the church as for our neighbors. Um, becomes really important, um, whether that's thinking about our economic impact in a neighborhood um, and how the placement of our building matters or how stewarding the land and what goes downstream, literally downstream, what we put in our trash matters, um, how we are able to invite people into our space. Is it hospitable? Um, to everyone. Um, So theologically, philosophically, um, the question of who is this church project for? 
um, why do we practice sustainability? Mm. Um, and if it's just for ourselves, there's probably a lot more productive ways of doing that, um, where we bring in chemicals and we bring in machinery um, and try to force the earth to produce the most it can for me or for a smaller us. Um, but as we step back, I think theologically, the question of how do we be good neighbors should inform um, some of our decision-making. And, and that has really led me towards sustainability as a theological commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's obviously some beautiful writings by, um, you know, John Muir or Wendell Berry or the Psalms. Um, and obviously the, a lot of pastoral language from the gospels. Um, but that's not, that's not really how I got there. I got there mm-hmm. through considering who my neighbor was. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to to keep following this. So for some of our listeners, they may not necessarily be as well acquainted with what the idea of a social enterprise is, um, a revenue generating entity that its goal is not for profit. Its goal is a mission. Its goal is, you know, to benefit social uh, groups or their neighbors or whatever. So would you consider Heirloom East Bay to be a social enterprise? Um would you use that type of that type of language? I I don't think it's inappropriate. Um, yeah, I I think um, there's a lot of discipling that happens when a church can open its books and clearly explain um, how the money coming in benefits not just the church but the community around it. Um, and that's not an accountability that we often take up for ourselves. Um, but one that I think we should more seriously consider how does the tithe of the church reflect the commitment of the church? And it's a, it's an odd season. I mean, for a lot of churches, it's a difficult season financially. Um, and, I know that many district superintendents, lead pastors are looking for revenue generating, sustaining um, projects. Um, But again, I think I would just come back to who is it for? And -hmm. are we okay if we fail for the right thing rather than succeeding for the wrong thing? Mm -hmm. And that's not a, That's not a tension um, or a question that we often wrestle with um, because we're so afraid of churches closing um, or not growing that we end up falling to market language rather than really being gospel oriented, Mm -hmm. um, giving away everything you have to the poor is not a great way to sustain an organization. Um, Maybe we don't try it very often. So maybe it's the right thing to do. Um, We do have some practical ways that we sustain ourselves. And so I, I don't think that's the wrong thing to do either, Um, but it has to be in tandem. Um, So we have a residential community 
and we do um, charge rent to live here at the farm. Um, and that is a large part of the revenue here. Um, what sustains us is a residential community. Um, and again, that was, I don't think there's a perfect way to do it. Um, we certainly haven't found the way to do it, but our way of doing it here is um, to charge uh, below market rate because the Bay Area is one of the most expensive places on earth. Um, and it felt like a justice issue. There have, there have to be places that people can afford on salaries that are given. Um, and I do think there's an institutional place for us to say the most value that we provide to the community is not in fund generation uh, or collecting the most revenue, but it's in providing a healthy, stable community for our people to experience the love of God. And this is a creative way to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, I read all of the books um, on social enterprise. Um, and I think there's a lot of helpful ideas there, but they need to be translated into mm -hmm. gospel centered um, ideas. Mm -hmm. um, we're not the most radical community. I mean, I think there's some uh, Lutheran and German traditions, you know, that really lean into kind of sharing all things together. Um, we have a community fund um, that we use. Um, we um, provide an opportunity for everyone to give a um, what would be two hours of minimum wage here in California. So everyone's invited to participate in that. And that fund pays for all of the basic community items. Um, things like soap, um, soy milk, toilet paper, so that nobody ever is without the basics, um, rice, pasta, um, you know, some of the staples for a kitchen, um, cleaning supplies. Um, and that way, if someone can't participate in any particular month, it's okay. We're not desperate for any one person to fund everyone. Um, but we've had seasons where people have really needed to rely on that. Um, but yeah, that's not, that's not in the social enterprise category, but it's definitely in a fiscal category or a financial category. Um, so there's, there's a lot of ways in which I think that language makes sense, but doesn't quite fit what we're doing here at heirloom. Yeah. You know, a lot of what you guys are to sounds very monastic and uh, you know, it really makes me think. So one of my favorite places in the world is that have you Gethsemane in Kentucky. And, you know, we usually go there once a year or so to take a retreat, but it's, you know, it's Trappist monks. And you know, honestly, it sounds a lot, it sounds very similar. I mean, you guys would have to start making fruitcake and cheese and some, some other core essentials. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very similar. They, uh, you know, maybe some, you know, they, they've taken a, a vow of poverty, uh, and say that they own nothing. So that's definitely a little more on, on that radical end. But, you know, aside from that, like it's, it's very similar. And they also have this retreat house and, 
you you go there on retreat and pay them to retreat there, you know, and you get to sort of like uh, eat their fudge and their fruitcake and, you know, and and uh, anyway, it's anyway, it, it, it feels it just feels very monastic in that sense of like, the kind of commitment, the kind of covenant that you're in with each other, the kind of work with the land, the kind of uh, solitude that is also a gift to a community. Uh, yeah. I, I love that. Um, so yeah. What, so what about, what about, what about, I'm going to say in air quotes church and, uh, and what that looks like for you guys, like what's a Sunday or like, is there, is there choir practice? Give us the, (laughs) translate it for us. Uh, what do you guys, what does that look like? Yeah, so we're a, we're a house church, we're a farm church. And so we gather um, once a month to work the land together as kind of a open volunteer afternoon. And then um, after that, we gather at 530 every week and our liturgy begins at six and we always eat together. Um, the community takes turns cooking. Um, so one person is kind of in charge of the the main courses each week. Um, and then we kind of all bring a little something a lot of times to add to that. Um, and we sing the doxology and we go through our kind of liturgy together. We have some dialectical preaching, um, take communion, and then we enjoy a meal, um, as part of communion and, and that like continue our discussion, our, our time together. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about the simplicity of a meal together. Um, You know, more than sort of the potluck culture, um, I think it's a theological act. Um, And I, we've built our core gathering around the table um, in large part to teach people how to be hospitable, not just how to offer hospitality, but how to receive hospitality. Um, there's some of the more obvious things like teaching young people how to cook meals for themselves that are healthy, that are um, vegetarian, or um, can at least be enjoyed by a variety of people, um, how to consider dietary needs in a group setting. Um, so there's there's some of that surface level practicality, but then again, I think returning to the theological core, Jesus is often eating with his disciples and the teachings that happen there are through, this is what's going on, or this is what we see in this town that we're visiting. And then the instruction happened um, through conversation and dialogue. And um, I do you think sometimes we can overcomplicate what it means to disciple people by taking them out of context and saying, okay, now be Christian. Mm. And rather than saying, this is how we live already. So how do we be Christian in the lives that we already live? Um, we are committed to gathering together for community meals. So it makes sense to us that, the instruction would happen at a community meal and not in some other place with some other setting and some other 
um, it's not to say that retreat settings aren't good, um, but it made the most sense for us to say, if we're going to do it regularly, we should do it at our regular gathering. Um, so that's why we have church around the table. Um, and then we also have some unique gatherings that are just for the residents. So we have a weekly meeting um, that we pair with our um, sort of our shorthand mission statement, which is pray, eat, work, and play. So monthly, we gather weekly uh, on that. Monthly, we gather on that rhythm once a week for each of those themes. Um, so our prayer week, we use a modified um, examination from Wesley. We use Wesley's questions uh, and, and we have a shorthand sort of way of opening that up in uh, the question of what can we hold with you? Um, so they have the list of questions from Wesley, but it's a pretty low barrier for entry. You don't have to have a deep theological education to say, this is what's going on in my life. These are the things that I'm celebrating, or these are the things that uh, sort of I'm, I'm burdened with this week. Um, we have an eat week and each of those weeks we gather together, um, to share either what's from the garden. Um, but then we also have a biblical tie to sort of eat this word, um, from Isaiah. Um, and so we try to, um, always have some sort of theological conversation, um, alongside of a meal or dessert together. We have a work week, which is probably the most practical thing we do, talking about what the animals need in this particular week, if any animals are pregnant, uh, what animals uh, might need special attention, uh, property needs, you know, a fence is broken here or there. Um, so we have uh, work teams that we also uh, manage once a month. And then we have a play week. And again, it's uh, to emphasize Sabbath, um, that we are not only here to work, um, but that we love each other and we love being together. And again, we need to exercise that muscle of play so that, um, you know, a lot of the tension points are really eased when you're on good term. Mm. Um, and so the more we play together, the easier it is to be in conflict. Um, or for those conflicts to be in the right context of relationship. Um, we are not distant partners. We are close. We are um, people who want to work this out, not just people who have to work this out. Um, and when you want to, when, when you play together, you want to be closer to those people. So those have been really critical movements and rhythms for our community. Um, most of that is fairly open um, to extended members of the heirloom community, even people who don't reside here. But um, some of the work stuff is primarily residential community driven. And we have prayer every day, community prayer in the evenings, 545 after everybody's kind of home from work. But before we go our separate ways for meals or come together for a meal and we eat together twice a week as a community, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, in addition to the, there's a lot of food, you know, um, this week in particular, there's a lot of plum jam. We have a lot of plums on the property. Oh man. I love plum jam. Yeah. Yeah. Plum jam is yeah. my jam. Mm, there you go. There you go. Exactly. 
So there's a lot of, a lot of points that we connect with each other and gather together. Mm. That's really cool. Do you have your whole service around the table? We do. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So the homily and everything is going to be around the table. Yeah. 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 That's right. And, and could you, Paint me a little bit more of a picture of what I'm just really curious from a pastoral point of view, what communion looks like when you guys do that together. Is it like a kind of a pass the cup situation or? Yeah, we do everything uh, through intinction uh, for communion. So rip and dip mm-hmm. is the, um, but one of the unique. That's what Jesus said, rip and dip with me. Yeah. One of the unique features um, that is practiced in other places um, as well, but one of the things that we have adopted is um, each person has the opportunity to serve the elements to their neighbor. And, you know, I, I typically fall back on what I grew up on, which is this is the body and blood of Christ, or this is the bread and the juice. Um, Those were the two most common phrases, but as we have had people join us, the, ways in which they offer the bread and the cup to their neighbor has really been an ecumenical experience for me Um, because people have experienced communion in such radically different ways um, that I've, yeah, it's just been, it's been really beautiful um, to hear the ways in which people offer a sacrament to each other. Um, There's one couple in our church currently who talks about the cup of joy and I just really love that language uh, and the bread of life. And so I, I don't say it um, because it's, it doesn't feel right yet. <laughs> but I, every time we take communion when that family is here, I, I, I listen for it because it's just such a beautiful offering. Um, and so I've, I have also seen, yes, it's something that we practice weekly and is routine for us, but there's so much variety in the way that people bring their theological perspective to the table as well. And so I've really enjoyed that portion of the communion element. And I want a shirt so bad that has communion on it and says rip and dip. (laughs) (laughs) That would be so good. We can make that happen. Uh, Yeah. See, now you just got to turn your attention to branding. Uh, you know, really. Yeah. Sell it at the farm stand. You know? I'm telling you, you know, the one that kept coming to me was uh, pastoring in the pasture or finding your pasture to pastor or something that there's something there. Uh, so you're welcome. Uh, yeah. I will say the, the parable of the lost sheep makes so much more sense after you have bottle fed a sheep. Um, who had lost a parent and mm. it's missing. Mm. Um, so it'll be eight at night and you're wandering hills, sweating, looking for this, you know, animal. And I have definitely questioned, what am I doing here? And then I come back and I reread these stories that Jesus is telling. And I'm like, oh, that really makes sense. Like the, I feel the anxiety of that story so much differently and the love for that animal so much differently um, because I'm more familiar with the imagery. Um, So definitely being in this setting has connected a lot of the gospel language um, in a more intimate way for me personally. 
Yeah. It's one of those ways that um, those of us who, well, I feel like a lot of people, especially in urban spaces in the United States, are very removed from the land, are removed from agrarian language and an agrarian way of life. You know, that's why it's so interesting to talk to your great grandparents and, you know, people who were more dependent. And I I do find that the more I learn about creation, the more I learn about ecosystems and the way things are dependent on one another, the more I learn about God and the more I glean from scripture. You know, it makes more sense mm-hmm. when you realize like, oh, fruit trees like don't produce fruit right after you plant them. Like it takes a hot minute for fruits and nuts to grow on a tree. So it would make sense why God would say like, don't cut all those things down, you know, like let them be. So I I just think there's a great lens to read scripture when you are living in such closeness with the land and with the things that live there. So as we are wrapping this thing up, is there any uh, upcoming projects or plans that you both are are interested in or excited about in the near future for you that's cool yeah we're um we're hoping we're working with um a forest school so forest school is kind of this um phenomenon coming out of the the bay area that is like mostly preschool um but also maybe some early elementary ages um, where school is like a hundred percent outside. Um, they do come in for like a bathroom break every day, but we are working with a forest school, um, out of Berkeley to open kind of a forest preschool here on site. And so hopefully having, um, bunches of kiddos running around, learning about the trees and the Creek and the animals and, you know, making soap and carding wool and all that good stuff. So we're, we're really hopeful that, we can get it started, maybe not quite this fall, but at least by January, um, have a little forest school on site up and running. So that's our, our, our next big thing. So oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I have really taken to soap making. It's um, not, it's an unexpected joy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps me. It's just a really relaxing process for me. Um I get to think about sense and design and uh, chemistry and none of those things are what I'm best at, but it's just been really fun. So Mm. um, yeah, I, I would say being open to what's in front of you um, has been something I'm learning to always look forward to. That's really cool. I think the uh, that's one thing that that the sort of hashtag farm life really pushes you on is is that if you're going to do this, it's going to constantly make you learn something new, and um, and it's kind of like well, that's 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 how the whole thing works, right? Uh, and 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 maybe when it's not working that way for you. Uh, I I can't help but wonder if we're sort of stepping a little bit outside of the kind of mojo we're created for, the kind of relationship with the earth that we're created for. Uh, because man, the more I the more I know, the more there is to learn. And uh, and if that tells me anything about uh, creation, 
And it tells me a lot, you know, even more about the creator. Um, right. Um, yeah, it's just this never ending relationship. Um, man, that's that the forest school thing too. There's a forest middle school that just is opening in Nashville and I'm so curious mm -hmm. about it. We're reforesting our children. So, uh, that's good stuff. Love that. Um, well, one of the things we've been asking folks as we sort of, uh, at, at the end, if, you know, if, if there's something that, uh, you know, it doesn't be your favorite thing about creation, but something maybe that you really like or something that just sort of is it for you that you might want to share with us. I'll, I'll go first. Um, I just love being outside, period, um, in any fashion. And so to be able to have a space like this that is full of opportunity to put your feet in a creek, um, to hug an animal, to sit in the shade of a tree, to look at the stars come out at night, um, to host friends for a barbecue. Um, yeah, that's, there's just something about being outside that's different than being inside. Mm. And, um, We've had some pretty extreme weather here in California this year, especially with all of the rains. And I got to be outside. Um, I had to be outside. Mm -hmm. And I, every day that I had to dig a trench to divert water or clear a culvert or rescue a sheep from, you know, getting stuck in the mud, at the end of each and every one of those days, I was so grateful. Um, and there's office stuff that needs to be done, but I can do it outside. And that is an immeasurable blessing to me. For me, it's probably a tie between the trees here and the hills here. So we're kind of nestled in this, um, Crow Canyon named after the Creek, Crow Creek. And the hills are just incredible um especially when they're green but even when they're not you know in the dead of july um when the the prairie grasses are mostly brown like it's still just absolutely gorgeous um but i'm also really falling in love with the trees here um just the bay trees and the coast live oak these huge um ancestors i feel like have so many secrets and i'm like slowly learning them um, and there's just like so many pockets of fruit here. Mm -hmm. I, I've had so many, um, wild plums last summer when I had COVID and I was here, I like survived on plums and elderberries and blackberries and, um, just so many opportunities for foraging here, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm really enjoying mm -hmm. as well. So probably the trees. Love that. Man, you guys really sell it. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's like you're just selling it. Uh, it's so good. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, sitting down with us and sharing a bit more uh, about Heirloom. I feel like we could do a whole series and just un unpack these things uh, just with you guys. And man, I it's just, I think, a, a kingdom treasure what you guys are doing. And you really are um, forging a, a new 
frail, I suppose. Uh, you know, I, I think in, in how we can think about uh, our relationship in communities and land uh, with each other as the people of God in these spaces. And so thank you for, for that. And um, yeah. It's good to be in partnership with you all. Thanks for having us. Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please be sure to rate, review, or subscribe and visit themillennialpastor.com for more podcasts like it.